Business Executives for National Security welcomes you to Building the Base. Here, thought leaders and practitioners discuss how we can ensure our shared security and prosperity through shaping the future of the national security industrial base. Your hosts are Silicon Valley defense expert Lauren Bedula, along with Ben's distinguished fellow and former head of acquisition for the Navy, Marines, and Special Operators, Hondo Gertz. Welcome back to Building the Base. Lauren Medula and Hondo Gertz here with DOD's new director of the DOD Office of Strategic Capital. I know a lot of our listeners are curious as the office is rolling out, what's going on over there, so we're so excited, Jason, to have you there. And you're also a real change maker at DOD in your efforts role, so excited to get into some of your thoughts uh, today, Jason. Thanks for joining us. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Jason, good to have you here. I won't... Uh, I won't uh, recall too many of our past lives together, but, uh, you know, I think as many folks may be listening or senior leaders, one of the, you know, most gratifying things to see as you get older in age is to see those you're mentoring or have worked with or have supported you, you know, where the student becomes the teacher and, uh, and, and are taking things to the next level. So it's awesome to, uh, awesome to have you here with us. Um, I know a lot about your background from uh, working together in past lives, but why don't you share kind of with your, uh, with the group here, how does uh, you know Air Force officer turn super geek, uh, PhD, suddenly run the new capital office for the DOD? Well, no, I appreciate that, Mondo. I, um, you know, for uh, my career, there's been a few key moments that have uh, made me want to uh, continue to work inside of the Department of Defense and work for and support national security. And probably the most pivotal moment was joining the GHOST program as a first lieutenant, which I'm sure you've heard plenty of time from my colleagues and peers who've gone through the program. Um, you know, I started off my career as an engineer inside of the Air Force. I worked for a couple of years. Uh, wasn't too thrilled with the first job that I had and was seeking a way to get more involved and uh, where we were and what we were doing in, in the 2012-2013 time frame and there's this great program called the GHOST program where young acquisition officers, young engineers, young program managers can, can uh, head over to SOCOM for a little uh, OTJ and how to do acquisitions in support of current operations and uh, Hondo Gertz he's the service acquisition executive at the time and uh, I mentored myself as well as a number of GHOSTs who are now all in leadership positions across the Air Force uh, both in, in uniform and in civilian positions. Hondo um, wrote my uh, recommendation letter when I had opportunity to go back to uh, do a PhD and rethink uh, my career as an engineer and learn that uh, as probably an okay engineer, there's other life choices that I could be making. Uh, what uh, When I was uh, headed back to school, uh, I was really interested in this concept of innovation, and, and more importantly at the time, um, I had no idea what innovation meant. It was a buzzword, and this was 2014-2015 pound frame is still very much in that category, uh, but I was fortunate to come across a line of uh, 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 business literature, uh, and then into some of the more esoteric uh, econ uh, publications dating all the way back to the 1930s around this concept of innovation as it relates to corporate strategy. And I fell in love with it. And so uh, headed back to school to, to get a degree in uh, strategy and public policy. Was out uh, in the West Coast in Silicon Valley for about five years, uh, working with founders, working with investors, and asking the question, does it make sense for an entrepreneur to work with the government? From the standpoint of an entrepreneur, it doesn't make rational sense. 
And, uh, and the answers I got back through years of research was, it depends, but they weren't really great for the Department of Defense. Uh, and there were a lot of really good reasons for that. Uh, one, the DOD wrote uh, rights contracts, having very demanding technical requirements for companies to meet. And when you're a young entrepreneur, there are very high switching costs, there are very high opportunity costs for choosing the wrong path and being stuck in that path. Uh, but there's also this this uh, this choice that uh, companies felt that they had to make and investors felt that they had to make, whether they either pursued defense or they pursued commercial. Um, and let's face it, returns are always going to be higher in the non-defense sector. What we found, though, is if we changed the way that we thought about writing contracts, about working with new companies, with startups, with entrepreneurs, that gave them an opportunity to test the Air Force market, which is where I was at the time, now the DoD market with new technologies, to add, make, make it less of a, hey, you are working for the Department of Defense, and hey, let's see if we can partner on something that's interesting for both of us, and then find opportunities to rapidly scale and integrate those technologies into capabilities that the department needed through an incrementally uh, uh, rigorous process. Um, we could increase the amount of companies that were working for the department because it made more rational sense. You can generate margin, you can generate revenue, you can build your base in ways that uh, that uh, was hard to do in the commercial sector. Because you know, once you're inside of the DOD, you're inside the DOD. You've got a steady stream, you've got a steady market, and you know where your customers, you know where your funding's coming from. Um, it is really a stabilizing dependency for early stage companies, which can be beneficial if done in the right way. And through that program, you know, uh, for example, running the Air Force SBIR program uh, from uh, 2008 to 2018, all DOD SBIR companies combined had about a $2 billion of venture capital invested in them. Uh, since 2018 to 2022, which is the last time that I checked, uh, it was about $12 billion of venture capital invested in DOD companies. So you've seen a significant amount of uh, shift in investment in the companies that are supporting the Department of Defense. Uh, and there's lots of reasons for that. DIU, all of the innovation organizations, AppWorks, the organization I was at was modeled after SoftWorks. Right. That's why you see all these works organizations out in the ecosystem today. Um, and so, the, you know, building on certainly the, the shoulders of giants that have come before us, but there's been an incredible group of individuals, you know, uh, to your point, of folks who, who were doing rapid acquisitions that were deploying capability to the field during the war on terror and have continued to work in this with this mindset, now working with this whole new bed of contractors that are supporting the department. And I am very confident and very excited about the future of the DOD. So tell us about your new office. What's the mission? What are your priorities? And our listeners are eager to hear more about OSC. Uh, the Office of Strategic Capital was built to afford the department new tools to help us better compete in today's techno-economic competition. Um, today, if you look across our critical technology areas. They span everything from semiconductors to uh, biotech, advanced materials, quantum, all the way through things that you think are very DOD-centric, like hypersonics and directed energy. The dominant source of investment capital is private. And, and government funding, as we all know, has shrunk in comparison to industry financing and private financing for deep technology development. Today, U.S. capital markets provide us a strategic advantage in this competition for the sole reason that we in the United States have the most liquid and the largest capital markets today, whether it's early stage equity or late stage debt, the U.S. controls 50% of the world's available private capital. That is an incredible opportunity 
for us as a country to uh, make sure that we have enduring technological advantage, both for national security and economic security. That how we do that is something the team's been working on for the last three years. There's a number of ways. The one that you'll commonly hear in discussions is we need to be a better buyer. We need to buy things better. We need to be able to more nimbly work with companies who are already being venture-backed companies. And that is something that uh, uh, Hondo and his career, my, myself and in my early career, spent a lot of time being as good of a buyer as we possibly can. Um, and it's something that we should and, and will continue to focus on. And we talk more about that. The fundamental issue with that as an only strategy is many of our technology sectors are things that we don't buy. Semiconductors is a great example of this, right? The Department of Defense invests 50% of the country's R&D in our critical technology sectors. We have the majority of the investment in semiconductors. Yet we know we've lost that industry, and if the COVID supply chain disruptions taught us anything, it's that these fundamental technology sectors uh, not only pin our DOD capabilities, they don't pin our everyday lives. And so it's, it's fundamental that the Department of Defense is working to ensure that we have a robust and secure supply chain, both in today's industries, where we've been, and also industries in the future, which is what that OSC is focused on. So, Jason, one of the things, you know, we, we often talk about is um, just because you don't know about it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And, you know, for a large part, the DOD has not played much into kind of this debt financing, these kinds of programs and whatnot. But but I think a lot of other federal agencies have used them for decades very successfully. When you kind of talk about um, this idea of how to bring some of these programs to the DOD, can you help the listeners here understand you know, what already exists in the federal government and, and why you think those, you know, we can build on those as a, as a great new tool to put in our tool set as we try and leverage this high tech uh, opportunity? You know, it, it's, a, it's a great question because uh, the Office of Strategic Capital's primary tool for mobilizing private capital and support national security is debt. And what debt is, is an extremely low cost of capital to invest in domestic infrastructure, manufacturing, even commercialization. But to your point, it's a tool that nearly every federal uh, uh, department and agency uses, except for the Department of Defense, Department of Labor, and Department of Justice. There's 118 federal credit programs. If most of the listeners, I'm sure, are in the military or have military experience. The VA Home Loan Program is a federal credit program in which the Department of Veteran Affairs provides a loan guarantee to banks to provide mortgages to service members and veterans. It's a common tool that we use to increase the capitalization of things that we care about as a country. And it's a, a tool that we've used in prior global competitions. You know, spudding across our skies in 1957 and 1958, the Eisenhower administration launched, launched the SBIC program, a small business investment company program, which uh, catalyzed the entire venture capital asset class. The way SBICs work is they provide a guaranteed loan to investors who are going to invest that loan as equity in earlier stage companies. It unlocked all of that technical talent that was in these large corporate labs at the time and created commercialization opportunities to build foundational companies to our technological rise in the 60s and 70s companies like Intel and Sun Microsystems, Cray Research, Apple Computing, that all had investment from SBICs. At one time in the 1960s, two-thirds of all venture capital was backed by the federal government. And it's tools that we've used more recently. Companies like Tesla, we received a $465 million loan from the DOE uh, in 2010 to help them build domestic infrastructure and manufacturing. 
that led to uh, their IPO and repayment to the taxpayers within three years, which is one of the wonderful things about these programs is they are not programs that cost the taxpayer. They're actually investment programs. As you both know, we don't do that inside the Department of Defense. We spend money for $858 billion is what OMB would consider 100% subsidy. It's dollar out, it's dollar out. Federal credit programs in the commercial loan space cost the taxpayer on average 1.2%. It means for about a penny of every dollar spent, yeah, it, it, or every dollar loaned is, is actually spent by the taxpayer. The taxpayer makes their money back 99 cents on the dollar. And for these critical industries, the only other way that the department ever gets involved in these is to actually spend money. And so if you're looking at comparing, uh, hey, should we do a loan or should we do a grant? Loan is going to win every single time if we can do it. And because these technology sectors have multiple markets, not just the DOD, because they are, are so pervasive in our everyday lives, loans are a much more efficient tool. So how, who are your key stakeholders? How are you going to interact with venture capitalists versus private equity versus tech companies? Can you give our listeners a lay down of the stakeholders you'll be engaging with? A lot of them are listeners and how they might be able to help you or what you need from the private sector side. Absolutely. So uh, we are launching uh, a number of different programs this year. The first program that we've launched, the only program that is uh, 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 currently in operations is the revitalization of the SBIC program in support of national security. We call this our critical technologies initiative. Um, with that program, we are providing uh, government-backed loans to match with private capital. How that works is we license limited partnerships and we can provide uh, leveraged debt financing in a two-to-one ratio for every dollar of private capital that is in that limited partnership. So if you think of it this way, if you have $90 million of private capital available to invest in earlier stage companies, we can provide up to $175 million of, of uh, a guaranteed uh, uh, debt pegged at the 10-year treasury rate. Uh, and, and the new program that we're launching with the SBIC program is an accrual to venture, which means that you don't need to start paying interest on that uh, debt for 10 years. Uh, the interest exists, it accrues, but you don't have to start paying it off, which makes it a very friendly program to make earlier stage investments that we know are not going to return to the fund until well into the life cycle of the fund itself. Um, that program is working with investors. Right? That, this will be one of the first programs we work directly with investors. And that program is going to be focused on increasing capital flows to those areas that are not capitalized. Let's face it, we talked about PE versus VC. A lot of these areas, you're taking VC-style risk with PE-style returns. I'd like to talk about metamaterials. Metamaterials is a fundamental uh, category of advanced materials. It's going to be absolutely critical to the way we conduct ourselves uh, and the way we fight future conflicts. It's also going to unpin future communications. 5G, 6G, uh, Future G is all going to require tunable surfaces. There's been one IPO in metamaterials in the last three years at a $265 million market compensation. That is not a VC-style return company or, or VC-style return industry. Uh, but we need more earlier stage investment. We need more companies formed because it's a key industry for us for our future. Uh, other programs, though, that we plan on launching, uh, we're planning on launching a loan program initiative. So this is something akin to the DOE's loan program office uh, sometime later in the year with another interagency partner. And, and through that partnership, we're going to be expanding domestic infrastructure and manufacturing investments to help build domestic production of these critical technology areas. Many of these industries require poor infrastructure, just like electric vehicles did, to make that industry success. And so we're spending our time identifying those key industries like domestic, non-healthcare, uh, biotech manufacturing. Uh, 
There'll be a few programs that we launch, which will be more in the RDTV space. Uh, that'll be later in the year as well. Uh, the last initiative uh, I wanted to mention, in case we have any international listeners, uh, we are launching a critical uh, technology, uh, global critical technology scouting program. Uh, working uh, to expand uh, exposure to international technology companies and understand where we see opportunities to co-invest with our allies and partners. So it's uh, it's it's quite a, a lot of activity going on. Um, those listeners that worked in the DoD, they can appreciate this. Maybe not for those out. You know, starting a new office sounds great. It is incredibly painful, and getting office space and getting talent and getting all of those things. Uh, How's the support been so far, and, and are you feeling happy about, or you know, um, feeling that you're getting the level of talent, a lot of which doesn't exist in the DoD, that you need to kind of bring these new ideas into actual fruition and make them available to everybody? You know, Hunter, we just closed our first uh, round of applications for the first ever capital markets position inside the Department of Defense, uh, which is really exciting for the finance nerds like us that are in the DOD now. Uh, and uh, the outpouring of interest was phenomenal. I mean, you know, we've got, we had uh, people from the top banks, people from uh, the, the uh, uh, top consulting companies, uh, a, a wide variety of uh, folks who are in the capital market space today applied for the position. Um, so that was very impressive, and I was very excited about that. You know, we've been uh, had a lot of support from uh, the department to start bringing people on now. Uh, the department certainly recognized, and, and when, again, we've been building on these concepts for years at this point, um, that this is a, a key area for growth for, to make sure that we can be working in spaces to help catalyze investment in these areas. Uh, but we don't have the expertise inside the DOD today. Uh, and so I would certainly make the plea to your listeners, if they're interested, we will be hiring more. We will be continuing to grow the team. And we are looking for individuals who have talent in federal credit programs, in, in, uh, in, in private equity, in venture capital, and certainly in uh, credit financing. Uh, you know, we are providing, and if we're successful, and the onus is really on us at this point to prove out the model, to demonstrate that it works. And so uh, whether you are a current investor and are eager or excited about the potential to partner with the DOD as one of the first public-private partnerships, actual public-private partnerships that is investing capital in support of national security, or you're saying, hey, I've, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what's inside the beast that is uh, the Department of Defense, uh, we are really excited to bring you on board. Uh, and it's, it, I will tell you, it is a great opportunity to build something from the ground up. And it's exciting whether you're inside the building or outside the building. It's always exciting to build a new company and take a risk on something. Well, and can you give us a sense? Because, again, it's so new to many folks, especially in the national security space. Can you give us a sense of scale? Like if this not to hold you accountable to a number that you're going to have to do a hearing on, you know, two years from now. But, you know, what's the order? You know, this is not a hey, we can go find $100 million or we can go find $50 million things. What's the scale you think if, if you know, if this, if we get access to these programs, if we can build the relationships and the network uh, to really leverage that, that fundamental competitive advantage we have in the capital marketplace, what, what, what do you think is in the art of the possible through these programs? When, when you look at other federal credit programs, like the... the Title 17 loan innovative 
uh, a technology loan guarantee program that the Department of Energy uh, ran. Um, that was $45 billion of available debt financing. When you look at the SBA program that we're partnering with, they have $5 billion to commit annually to the SBIC program. Now, because these are investment dollars, they get allocated very differently inside of the president's budget as opposed to spending dollars. So it's not a, it's not, it's not a discussion over getting you know, a few billion dollars in the defense budget. It's a discussion over, over what type of budget authority does the Congress believe that we as an office, that we as a department can operate effectively, effectively and efficiently at a low enough risk profile that we're going to return this capital to the Treasury Department and to the taxpayer. Um, but if we're successful, if we can build out the right mechanisms, I mean, we're, we're talking orders of magnitude um, where a few hundred million dollars of appropriation can go to um, provide uh, the risk financing through the, uh, the OMB process for billions of dollars of available uh, debt financing that will that be predicated and dedicated to partnerships with the private sector. Um, we ran a, a very small experiment in comparison to the scale that we're talking about today through the Air Force's Strategic Fund Increase Strat 5 program out of AFWorks. And with that program, we were able to crowd in about a dollar and fifty cents for every government dollar that we spent. And we think that's a low bar for the amount of private capital we're being able to drive towards this. And so for you know a, a relatively low amount of appropriated spendable dollars, you know, in the hundreds of millions of dollars, we can talk about um, billions of blended finance, public-private capital that can be mobilized to support these interests. What's really, I think, important about that, the department's facing generational bills on shipyard dry docks, on infrastructure, bases, all these other things. And having come from the department, you really struggle with spending appropriated dollars on those kinds of things and having to give up building a new warship or a or child care program or whatever I mean, and these big infrastructure uh, programs can just completely debilitate the department. So if, if do you sense that these programs would allow a better way to finance large capital infrastructure ways and direct appropriated funds kind of the way we do it right now? I, I do. When, when there's an opportunity where the infrastructure or, or the production lines are going to be used for, um, for a, a number of markets by a number of customers, Outside of just the DOD, you know, it is the position of our Office of Strategic Capital that there are uh, many ways that you can finance those things that do not actually cost appropriated dollars. Um, because there is value for the investors who are going to be investing alongside of us, all we have to do is be the marginal dollar to increase capital flows to those areas. And so the whole strategy for OSC is how do we how do we allocate, how do we think about becoming the marginal dollar to crowd in private capital in areas that it's not inherently investing in today? And I think if you've looked at our capital trends over the last 20 years, you'll see that private capital has moved away from investing in these areas, right? Like, look at our shipyards. You know, if you're looking across the entire globe, where are the majority of ships being built today, right? It's because, for a number of reasons, it's a, a labor costs are cheaper. Also, there's heavy investments happening from other countries in these areas. Uh, the the marginal dollar, though, to bring those those things back domestically is much lower than I think what a lot of people uh, would ultimately realize. And so, we've got to start somewhere. So, hopefully, we can we can get some of these programs off the ground this year, like through our partnership with the SBA. I will say, though, 
Uh, building the team is important. Building the ability to execute these programs are important. And, uh, and we are very excited about the partnerships with these other large organizations who are already deeply thinking about these problems and are now working more in supporting national security. Mm-hmm. I was surprised by uh, how many folks I heard from after the recent DIU director was named and, and the elevation of DIU, where folks are like, how does this work with OSC in the Office of Strategic Capital? You're really not an innovation hub. How do you plan to work with innovation hubs, or how does it fit together? No, uh, absolutely, and I appreciate the uh, the um, making that delineation. You know, we OSC is focused on, on core finance and capital markets. Um, we consider ourselves a capital markets organization, and so what what does that mean in terms of like? An executive branch, it's really thinking deeply about um, how does how is the market performing and how does that impact our national security, right? Thinking deeply about the economic instrument of national power. You know, if you think about dime, right, it's kind of the maybe antiquated way of thinking about instruments of national power. The military, the DOD, uh, is obviously very focused on M. We we also work on the on the uh, on, on diplomacy. And, and on, on intelligence and information, um, but when it comes to E, you know, the Department of Defense has not had a significant amount of focus in our economy, um, and I think we've realized certainly from a technology perspective and from an infrastructure and manufacturing perspective, um, we uh, as as an organization uh, uh, at OSC, the collective members that started this um, um, under the under the um, uh, Secretary's vision. Uh, learned about uh, all of the opportunities in the space during COVID. And we were working at AppWorks. We were working at DIU at this time. We recognized that we were really inequipped to tackle this issue. And it was really outside of our purview because these organization organizations are focusing on real innovation type work, right? They were trying to drive efficiencies for our warfighters by, by providing cheaper, better performing capabilities to meet operational needs. But those programs are not focused on increasing infrastructure, domestic manufacturing, or increasing capital flows to undercapitalized areas of the economy, and so it is a inherently different thing. One of the one of the key differences I'll, I'll, I'll push forward is the secretary is establishing the Strategic Capital Advisory Council, um, which is you know a, a, a version of a board of directors, a term board of directors for for OSC, uh, which is co-chaired by the Undersecretary for Research and Engineering and the Undersecretary for Acquisition and Sustainability. And if you're inside of DOD, you know those those two uh, undersecretaries used to be one organization, um, and uh, and they are now two. And it's important that uh, we are working with both our ANS colleagues and our R&D colleagues to ensure that we're making investments that are priorities for the department. But also on the board is or on the council is uh, uh, the undersecretary for policy, CAPE, comptroller, the services, and the joint staff to make sure that we are when we're making investments, we're tied into. Uh, out of your budgeting decisions that we were tied into the priorities. We were helping to balance some of these tough decisions, Hunter, that you talked about before, right? Maybe we could do some things that free up budget to do other things for the department. And thinking about how private capital can be part of the budgeting decisions for the Department of Defense. We should be considering it as one of the core funding strategies. So so let's get maybe a little more practical here, because uh, I'm just a dumb guy with a big neck. Um, <laughs> we, you know, one of our uh, recent guests, uh, doing some really exciting stuff in terms of dual use uh, aircraft, uh, regional aircraft, also uh, potentially supporting the DOD. How would that kind of, you know, they're just in the stage of standing up production manufacturing. How would a, a company like that interact with your office? What's, how do they go about um, 
thinking about this as a potential option with their investors? Yeah, it, the way that, as we stand up these programs, uh, the way that we are building this out is by um, making sure that the community understands what is available, what type of financing is available for what. Think of We think of them like financial products. Hey, you go to your bank, right? you get a mortgage, you get a checking account, you get a savings account. Like These are financial products that are available. And the way loan programs work is they work with eligibility criteria. Hey, you're going to go get a mortgage. Are you eligible or not? Right? It's making very clear to the companies and the investors, like, what are the programs? What is the eligibility criteria? And making sure that as best we can be very clear about, hey, is this really for you or for not? Right? We want to always want to limit churn. We want to limit the amount of time people are spending on things when they're not going to be eligible. But if they are, then we're going to be assessing risk. And that goes back in this fundamental calculation. The more the, the more the, the Congress, the more the department wants to take risk in certain areas, the more the more appropriated dollars we have to put behind it. Um, the average risk profile for uh, these programs are somewhere between two to ten percent risk, which means there's a two to ten percent a chance of default. So for earlier stage company, higher risk. We're going to do less of those less of those deals annually for but for less risky areas, uh, we can do more deals. And so that is something that we plan to make sure that companies are aware of. At any given time, hey, what are we? What do we have eligible? What do we have available? Um, and what types of financing uh, can you pursue? Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on. We've had a lot of folks from the finance world speak to us about their interest in in collaborating with DoD, supporting national security, and we hear just clear signals on demand are helpful. I think your office is a clear signal of the importance of collaboration there. So thank you for clarifying and detailing your priorities, what the office will be doing, and how the private sector can help. Well, thanks again for for having me on. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Building the Base, a podcast from the Business Executives for National Security. Join hundreds of senior leaders and executives dedicated to the mission of keeping our nation safe. Check out our projects we're currently working with, important upcoming events, and the many ways you can get involved at www.bens.org.